0: I'm Cody Royal, and this is the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is a panel discussion about creating extraordinary experiences and features Travis McKenzie, founder and CEO of MTSQ Sports and former global events manager at Lululemon, and Jesse Cole, owner of the Savannah Bananas and author of Find Your Yellow Tux. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens, who have a special offer for you later in the show. But for now, enjoy the conversation. Jesse Cole, welcome to the show.
1: Yes, excited to be with you today.
0: And Trav McKenzie, how are you doing, Travis? I'm great, Cody, how are you, mate? I'm, uh, I'm pumped to be here. I'm doing really well. Uh, really excited to get you guys together and, and have this discussion. I start every episode by explaining kind of why I paired these two people together. And as I've been observing you, uh, Trav, very closely over the last couple of years and, and Jesse you know, from a distance uh, over the last year or so, I think this one just really makes sense in terms of how you two think about business and sport and fan engagement, customer engagement, and even, you know, further than that in terms of employee engagement. So I felt it was an opportunity to get you guys together. And the way i position positioned it in my head is that idea of when all the Power Rangers come together and they form that big dinosaur um, at the <laughs> end that always wins, funnily enough. Uh, so that's what I'm expecting out of you two. So I've set the bar high. So you're going to have to come and meet me up there.
1: So you're hoping that we're going to be Power Rangers coming together to form a dinosaur? I just want to know the goal of
0: this episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> single single well, Jesse's goal. Jesse's
2: already got his yellow. He's got the yellow color uh, sorted. So I don't know what color Power Ranger I'll be. So we'll have to maybe get clear on that before the end of the show.
0: Okay. I I'm wearing grey, so I don't I don't think there was a grey Power Ranger, but. Um, <laughs> let's let's dive into this. Jesse, well, let's start with you because you know we talk a lot about uh, on this show about words mattering. And one of the questions I've been dying to ask you is your company's called Fans First Entertainment. So I'd love you to explain why you chose that and the type of statement that you're trying to make in terms of having that be the name that's out there in front of everyone.
1: Well, I think most companies, you know, when they're asked, they're asked what they do, and they talk about their product. And I believe you should love your customers more than you love your product. So when we named the company, it was very simple. It, it was all about the fans. And that's why we named it Fans First Entertainment. And, uh, you know, our mission, Fans First, Entertain Always. And what's great is because that has double meaning for us, where most people think the fans that come to the ballpark and come to our stadium, um, we actually believe our biggest fans are our own people, our employees. And we put them first because we know if we do that, If we love them even more than the employees, they'll deliver a great experience. So we try to keep everything simple. Every decision we make, is it fans first? Does it create the most amazing fan experience? And fortunately, uh, that's where we've been able to have success. You know, Three years ago, sleeping on an airbed and run out of money and struggling now to every game sold out and a waitlist in the thousands. We've been very fortunate that's worked.
0: And what is your streak in terms of sellouts at the moment?
1: Uh, we're over two seasons going into our third year, 60 straight sellouts. Uh, it's pretty wild because many people don't know we're one of the lowest levels of baseball, um, but we're selling at every game because we know what business we're really in. And it's not the baseball business. It's it's the entertainment business and uh, putting our fans first and getting a little crazy. And that's why we've been fortunate to have success in and I'll tell you, Travis, the guest here, I absolutely love, you know, uh, you know, never the status quo, the name of your sports group is exactly how we look at things and being dramatically different. And, you know, from having dancing players to a breakdancing first base coach, we're trying to be the only team that does things, not just a little bit better. And obviously, I love the name and what you're trying to do as well,
0: Travis. Yeah, well, jump into that, Trav, because, you know, people that follow you and I or you, or I know that we're business partners and our company is called NTSQ as an acronym, never the status quo, Mm. but that was something that came from you and and your journey. So explain that to us.
2: Yeah. I think the interesting thing there that a lot of people don't catch on to is when I actually first started the business, it was not the status quo. And then I realized that that actually is a bit of a status quo because it's a more of a common statement or, or, you know, an, an acronym for, um, for that particular saying. So I actually changed it to never the status quo after a short amount of time, um, which then kind of really frames the way that I think about things in business and the way that I think about things um, with what we do and the way that we engage with our um, you know, our customers and our clients and our guests. Um, and I also, you know, a big thing for me is looking at how things can be done differently and not just for the sake of doing them differently, um, but to identify refinements or a potential to improve uh, certain things that may have been around for quite a while. Um, And I'm actually in my office here and I've got a a picture of a globe that I turned upside down and it kind of just like really fits with the way that I really want to see the world, but also see business in particular of how do we do things differently? Um, Not, as I say, not just for the sake of it, but uh, to really identify those, those things that can be done better.
0: Yeah. And so for, People that don't know, you were the global events manager at Lululemon, the apparel company. And you spearheaded a couple of the, their major projects was the, the seaweed's half marathon, which is goes bananas in Vancouver every summer. And, and even some of the smaller projects around that, like the launch of the beer, which, you know, made national news up here in Canada. Um, I know those Mm. two things are kind of interlinked, but they all stem from this idea of the the customer journey methodology that you guys used at, at Lululemon. So I'd love us to, to walk through that. And then I want to ask the same kind of question of Jesse as well, like, how do you envision you know creating a half marathon from scratch that's going to you know uh, appeal to the fans and put the fans first to use jesse's um, yeah words yeah i think well you're right like um we
2: did try and do things differently and we did really start by looking at that customer journey and um to clarify or give some context i actually was living in toronto when the first seaweeds happened and i saw it from afar and i I was literally kind of stopped in my tracks and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. and I'm going to do anything I can to be involved. So I actually called the person who was uh, in charge of the event at the time. And I said, how do I come to Vancouver next year, move my life there to be a part of this particular event? Um, I saw that as really uh, a second coming or, a, you know, a, a reinvention of what, endurance sports and half marathon running could be Um, and when I got there what I really identified or was able to identify with my team was how do we actually map out that customer journey so the customer you know we would call them the guest um, from the moment they learn about the event and being Lululemon we were quite lucky that we had a lot of boots on the ground and word of mouth support through our stores where anyone who um, indicated that they were a runner and that they don't have to be an elite runner, just any type of runner, um, the stores would talk about Seaweeds and they would give them that um, initial kind of plant, that seed of like, okay, what is Seaweeds? Um, and from there, so it was, you know, how does the person or how does the guest first hear about the event? From there, what are they seeing when they come online and look at the, the website or onto social media? Um, when we open up registration, what's that experience like? All the way through to... Um, when they arrive at the airport, when they get to the hotel. What are they? So it wasn't just the race and the event weekend. It was the... And eventually, it, it became a 365-day journey that we would create and map out for these guests. And it really rev- revolutionized um, half marathon running. We were, we were rated the world's best half marathon numerous times. Um, we started with a three-month sellout the first year that I was involved. or the, um, Sorry, the first year of the event was a three-month sellout we moved it down to a three week, to a one day, to a four minute sellout over the years. So, it really became this um, sought after event, um, and I was constantly quizzed of, okay, where, when are you taking seaweeds elsewhere? But there was this real beauty and magic of having the event in Vancouver, which is the hometown of Lululemon. It was really a love letter to the city, and it was a, a love letter to the guests um, and the loyal guests that would come and be a part of that event. So. Um, yeah, to sum it all up, it was really a part of um, just creating an, an outstanding experience for our guests, and there were so many little mini pieces that went into it that I can go into if you need to, but um, I'd really, I'm, I'm super interested to hear from Jesse around the way that they do it with uh, with his crew at Fan First Entertainment. Well,
1: I'm, see, I'm excited. I want to know some of these unique touches that you, you were able to do. Yeah, let's go into that.
2: Yeah. Okay, perfect. So, um, So Okay, so I'm going to talk about like what is traditional in in running and half marathon running. So um, traditionally people would get uh, a t-shirt. So to be, usually it's a cheap t-shirt that no one ever really wears again, or it turns into a rag to clean your bike or whatever. So we were, um, you know, Lululemon obviously clearly makes fantastic uh, apparel. So there was the option we could do a running t-shirt. But what we decided to do was we would do shorts instead. And instead of the people arriving in Vancouver and picking up their race packet and getting their shorts, we sent those shorts out three months in advance. So what that allowed people to do is they could train in the shorts, um, they could get used to wearing them, but it also created a community around the event. So there was 10,000 people, so it was a very limited amount of product. It was a very limited event. We could have sold out three times over, but we decided to keep it at that level. Um, And it created community around these people. In Vancouver in particular, you would see people running on the seawall who had the seaweed shorts on and everyone would be giving each other high fives or waving to each other. So it was this automatic connection that people had um, that you don't see because it just doesn't happen in other events. Another thing that we looked at was um, race number bibs. So traditionally in half marathons, people pin a bib number to their shirt. We don't want people ruining, we didn't want people ruining their $68 Lululemon shirt. So instead of having, we, we got away with, Uh, race bibs altogether and really the only reason why race bibs are there are to track your time but also so the on-course photographers can snap a photo and then people try and sell you photos after the race we got away with that entirely as well no one looks good in those photos i don't care if you're the world champion or you're a four-hour half marathoner no one looks good in the middle of a race so why are we trying to take photos of those people at that time so that was another thing that we got rid of the other thing that we did was um Really transform what a package pickup experience is, so traditionally, you go into a you know a tent or a, a room somewhere, you get a plastic bag full of coupons that you just immediately throw in the bin. so instead of that, what we did is we created this uh, additional day before the race where people would actually come um, and be able to shop exclusive products. So there was limited product that was only available on that weekend. But more importantly, more importantly, we gave people the opportunity to have the time of their life. So we offered three uh, yoga sessions that day, morning, noon, and afternoon. We also had free mani-pedis. We also had... Um, barbers for the guys. We had cold brew on tap. We had all of these little activations that was completely free for everybody, but it was a way for them to feel like, okay, I'm going to come to Vancouver. I'm going to have the time of my life. And next year I'm going to bring three friends or next year I'm going to bring five friends. But it, you know, and this was even before the time of Instagram. So as we kind of moved into that, um, you know, the grammable moment, we were able to create some amazing activations around the event over the whole weekend. Um, that, you know, captured the spirit of, of what it was and, it you know, the internet blew up effectively on people sharing those moments. Um, and one thing that for the people who don't have context as well, following the race on the Saturday, we'd actually host uh, a concert um, in Stanley Park, which is one of the most beautiful parts of the world, if not, um, you, know, you know, and obviously in Vancouver, but... Um, we would, ha- we would host, you know, well-known bands. It would be a 15,000-person concert. There'd be a yoga class, and that's kind of where the beer that you mentioned, Cody, came into it um, mm-hmm. as well. We created our own beer. Um, you know, it got so much press because the way that we did it, it was, you know, it was a lemon beer. It was available before the event, so there was this, these touch points, um, you know, in the community around the event, but it was also this Souvenir that people could take home, or they could, you know, they would obviously it was on Instagram, but um, all of a sudden, you know, there was interest in international media around is Lululemon now getting into beer? And there was these, you know, the commentators on uh, all the business shows saying this is a bad move for Lululemon, they shouldn't be getting into beer, they're, they're preaching a healthy lifestyle, and, you know, all of these pundits that would share their opinion. But uh, it, at the end of the day, it was about creating this ultimate guest experience around the Seawee's weekend, and um, it was super successful.
0: Absolutely. And still is. And Jesse, let's let's flip over to you because, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on that whole uh, fan experience and, and even down to what's made you uh, famous more recently is your uh, yellow tuxedo and yellow top hat. And uh, you wear it every day. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yes. I, have, I own seven
0: of them. You own seven of them. Uh, and, you know, you guys have... Similar challenges, obviously, but in a in a very different part. Like you said, you're kind of in, in the bottom rungs of baseball and in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, so, how do you think about you know the similar challenges that you know Trav and the Lululemon guys were, and, and solving them for the fans that show up to your games?
1: I love that, Travis, you were sharing is if you want to reimagine any experience or be truly innovative in your industry, you have to look at all the friction points. And mm-hmm. literally start there. And it's I'm the one of the most positive, optimistic person people in the world, but I know that's the starting point. And so and I just when you were going through the whole race structure, it was like, yeah, bibs are not fun. You know, how you show up and get a t shirt like everyone else. And that's really what we did in the baseball industry. And we, we call it a mirror moment. You know, you literally look in the mirror and you own the problems and challenges in your industry. And whereas a lot of companies like Blockbuster, Toys R Us, Sears, they never did that. We owned what was the problem with baseball. And there's some serious, serious challenges. And so what we said, all right, baseball to many is long, slow and boring. Baseball, when you go to a sporting event, you get nickel and dimed. Five dollars for this, six dollars for this, eight dollars for this. It doesn't become affordable night. So what well, we learned this when I first started in the industry at 23 years old with a, a small team outside of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, that was averaging less than 200 fans a game. And my first day, there was $268 in the bank account. I-, I learned that we had to dramatically change the experience. And so we looked at all those friction points. We said, all right, baseball's long, slow, and boring. We need to make it more exciting. So that's when we started coming up with literally uh, you know, our dancing players and having grandma beauty pageants. And I started getting in the dunk tank every night. We made it a circus and a baseball game may break out. And yes, we did so many things that failed. Salute to underwear night was a disaster. Flatulence fun night where we gave away whoopee cushions was a disaster. We tried a lot of things, but we built our brand on you never know what's going to happen to the ballpark. And so when we came to Savannah, Georgia three years ago, after professional baseball had failed for 90 years, we knew we had to go even more crazy. And we said, all right, what is that friction point? You go to a sporting event, you buy your ticket say it's 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. Then you buy your beer, then your hot dogs. It's like, this is ridiculous. What would be the best possible experience? We said, make every ticket all you can eat and not just for an hour for the entire night. And so we made all of our tickets include all your hot dogs, your burgers, your chicken sandwiches, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your cookies, you name it. And it was $15. And we announced that. And then we said, all right, we need to deliver a great experience. And to kind of share with what Travis has done, we we imagine it from when you first touch us. So when you go to our website, you know, and you buy a ticket, what happens? And we have this email that says, congrats, you just made the best decision of your day. Right now as you bought your tickets, our whole staff came together. We grabbed them. We ran them out on the stadium field. We started pouring Gatorade showers over each other. Now your tickets are going in the vault in maximum security waiting for you to go bananas. So that's the first touch point. Then every single person who buys a ticket gets a thank you call. From one, of, from one of our staff. And most people are like, did my credit card not work? We're like, no, no, we're just <laughs> calling to thank you. And so this is before you even experience the product. Then when you come up to the stadium, one of the first things you'll see is penguins. Not real penguins, because they wouldn't survive in Savannah, but we dress up our staff as penguins. There are parking penguins. So imagine you're pulling in, and you see this person dressed up like a penguin parking your car. That's another fun touch. Then as they walk past, they're coming in, we'll see our players will be set up at the gate in full uniform signing autographs, passing out programs, posing for pictures. Then you'll have our pep band, and yes, a baseball team with a 30-piece pep band playing Rocky or Final Countdown or Uptown Funk as you're coming up to the stadium. Then, as you go to the ticket takers who are dressed up in full banana costumes, they will rip your banana-shaped ticket that is scratch and sniff and smells like bananas. So this is before you even experience the product. Then you'll come in, we'll have our banana nanas, senior citizen dance team, we'll have people getting pied, we'll be doing giveaways, we'll be giving away porta johns and colon cleansings, you name it, we get crazy. And then at the end of the night, our whole staff is lined up, including all the players, we have a s'more station giving away free s'mores, and, the, and we have our band playing sing-along dance music where people don't want to leave. Again, just like Travis done and why Lululemon's become a huge brand, you've got to map the entire experience from the beginning to the end, and especially at the end. But the last impression makes a lasting impression. And so few companies focus on, think about how many times you go to a restaurant and nobody even greets you and thanks you when you leave. We focus on that entirely. And I think that's one of the reasons we started selling out games because of our attention, because we went crazy. Similar to, I love the beer, Lululemon, like, why are they selling beer? Yeah, we did a lot of things. I mean, we sell Dolce and banana underwear, literally underwear, like whitey whiteys with a big banana on the crotch. Um, We did it for attention. But you can only create attention and, and make your brand go so far. Then you have to care for people. And I love the language Travis said, a love letter. You know, we focus on love and caring for our fans more than anything. And I think that's how you, you create an enduring brand.
0: I saw a really poignant tweet the other day that said, baseball's going through all these measures to try to condense games. And we're talking about it at the top level, Major League Baseball level. And, you know, there's, there's all these rule changes that are in the pipeline they're voting on currently, but they, baseball hasn't given fans a reason to stay for the four hours. So of course people are restless, you know, at three hours uh, or or two hours or whatever it is, but no one has stepped up to the plate and said, well, how can we provide an extra experience for these fans so that they don't want to leave? Because, you know... I'm thinking the same as the New York Times in this age of quick media and 15-second videos, they've just reported their best year and they do long-form essays and commentary and haven't shifted from that and And they've been a commercial success because they're providing quality and quality and quality and quality and, quality and keeping people on the page reading. Uh, and, and it's the same idea. How Rather than trying to cheap out and go the short option – How do we give them reasons to stay?
1: I think that's a great thing. I hear so many times, uh, Travis, you may have heard it too. And Cody, businesses say, you know, we need the community to support us. Or there's a sports team like the the, the community and the town should be supporting us. No, you need to give Mm. them a reason to support you. It's not the responsibility of the people in your town or customers to support a brand. You better make it so exciting and so amazing, so remarkable that they want to support you. I I hate when I hear that. And I'll tell you right now, here's the crazy thing. We have, for some reason, have scalpers and people buying tickets all over the country and selling them, and you can't get tickets. Yet, people still leave in the sixth or seventh inning, and we entertain like crazy. And that, my friends, is a huge problem with baseball, and that's why our big, big dragon that we're trying to slay is change the game of baseball. I think games should be an hour and a half, two hours max. And I'll tell you, in the next 12 to 16 months, we're going to make a big announcement because if we're truly fans first, if we care about our people and our fans more than anything, we can't continue to watch people leave a game early because I'll tell you, people don't leave a good movie or a great event, Travis, in the middle of it. <laughs> it yeah. It's telling you something about the sport, and, and we're on a goal to change that.
2: Jesse, I have a question. I, I got goosebumps listening to you talk about the experience, and I, you know, I'm excited to one day... Uh, be able to get my ticket and come and visit you guys. But how many of your guests do you think are baseball fans? Or do you think that it is a fan of entertainment? Like, do you have a sense of kind of what the breakdown is?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we, we can look at the data and look at what did the minor league professional teams draw. And my wife and I traveled here before we decided to go from zero debt to $1.8 million in debt <laughs> and take on a team and suffer and struggle, um, we went to all the games. And the most we saw was 500 people. And this was the professional baseball. And I would argue even a small percentage of that were real baseball fans. So if you look at that, we're drawing over 4,000 a night. Um, and 500 used to go to the, the, the minor league teams before that. And only a handful of them were probably real baseball fans. I would argue it's less than 1%. Yeah. You know, we are okay with making baseball fans, but I think there's a huge void in society of fun. And I think people need fun and they need to escape. And during our games, it's the craziest thing. We'll have 4,000 people singing to each other, having a sing-off. And then two innings later, 4,000 people, whether you're six years old or 70 years old, are up dancing in unison. It's the craziest thing. And we pay- take people through a roller coaster of singing, dancing, Laughing, sometimes crying. I mean, the players deliver roses to little girls in the crowd in the middle of the game. We try to put you through this emotional roller coaster. And I'll tell you, they're coming for that. They're not coming to watch, you know, a five to four baseball game. And that's why yeah. it's a very important language. We don't talk about, did you enjoy the game or welcome to the game? It's welcome to the show. Did you enjoy the mm. show? Because the team loses 10 nothing, They're not going to enjoy the game, but they can still enjoy the show.
2: One thing I'm interested in, Cody, and um, you probably are as well. Like I haven't any in any of the the research I've done on you, Jesse, or any of the articles I've read about what you guys have done, or even today, no, no one seems to talk about how the team does. I couldn't tell you what the record is. I couldn't tell you how good they are, how bad they are, and I don't think that that's important. But then coming from looking at it from the athlete perspective or the player's perspective. Do they feel like their second fiddle? And do you have players who have come and realized that maybe it's not for them? And or do you have players who seek out a chance to play for the team because it may be not as serious as the team, you know, three towns over?
1: Here's the crazy thing. We do not focus on the baseball, yet we've had the best record every single year since the Bananas have been in the league, including winning a championship. And I think you know this as well as anybody, when you're focusing so much on building um, a brand that really cares in the sense of about putting on a great experience and a great atmosphere and a great place to work and play, the results take care of itself. And these guys may not be the most talented baseball players in the world, but when they're playing in front of the crowd and they realize they're a part of something bigger than themselves, which they are, these guys are celebrities here. Um, Everything just comes together. And I think we're very intentional, and I think most leaders need to do this more, is share their beliefs over and over and over again. And I talk constantly that we are fans first. And, you know, as I said earlier, our players, our staff, our people that work for us are actually first. And I tell the guys, I want this to be the best summer of your life that's going to create more memories and an experience that you'll never forget. Are you going to dance? Are you going to sing? Are you going to be in conga lines during the game? Yes. But I'll tell you, you'll never forget this summer. And that's our goal. And they buy in. Some guys have not. Um, but that was many years ago. Now, you know, we're fortunate that people want to be a part of the experience.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I want to talk to you about the employee experience as well, Jesse. But it was funny just listening to you guys chat there. You know, we recorded an episode recently with Patty McCord from Netflix. And we were talking about her idea of being a great place to be from. And obviously in Silicon Valley that has different kind of uh, appeal than uh, a baseball team in Georgia, but I think that idea holds true as well in terms of, yeah, th- there's an idea even within baseball, within sports, within pr- professional or semi-professional sports of being from somewhere that has that, uh, that sex appeal to it um, so that even when you do move on, you know, maybe you move up the ranks and move into you know, professional Baseball, you're still from the bananas. And, and there's that recognition. And, and I think that does attract people. And uh, just to kind of continue on with that idea, it's funny because I'm going home after this to write an article about uh, the idea of uh, marketing in coaching and how I would love to see coaches step up to the plate and be on social media and be talking, like you said, Jesse, sharing their beliefs, sharing. Um, you know, as much as they can about how the game works. And, and I think that's actually going to attract players, even at the professional level, you know, there's, there's certain reasons people want to play for Steve Kerr, but I think there's also a certain level of honesty and that he's on Twitter and you can see him and he seems approachable. And so there's the X's and O's part, but there's also that he, he does tick the box of that marketing. And I, I really believe that going forward, that could be a, a really solid recruitment tool that a lot of people are overlooking right now.
1: And I think it also, uh, to an extent, it'll push people that aren't interested, that don't want to be a part of it, to the other direction. We just, yes. uh, I just posted an ad the other day, do not apply for this job, and as we're looking for a new person, and trying to say well, all the reasons why you shouldn't work for our company. And I think that conviction in your beliefs will make it very easy to get those people to be a part of you. And yes, coaches, sports executives, they should share everything. And again, what are those stories that they're creating? We, You know, our stories are what builds our core beliefs. It's not just saying our core beliefs. It's the stories that build them. And we share them over and over again. That people that weren't even with us our first year can still share the stories. And I remember when we were part of this and they weren't even a part of it because they've been shared over and over.
2: Well, I'm interested to think about that a little further. Like the ownership of major sporting organizations, um, you know, may or may not be uh, interested in transparency and you know opening the kimono to share all of the secrets and I you know I saw from the Super Bowl uh, last weekend where Robert Kraft is dancing with Cardi B at a pre-party like that would be you know that doesn't seem in his nature and it doesn't seem in the nature of other owners within sporting organizations. Jesse, you're in you're in that world does do you think that has something to do with it? you know, the old school mentality of our secrets are our secrets. And we're going to kind of keep tight lipped about that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, probably. You know, I was on the phone with someone the other day that it's like, Oh, I don't want to give it all away for free. I want people to buy it. <laughs> and I was like, no, you give it all for yeah. free. And people are going to still, still want to be a part of it and spend time with you. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, owners, you know, you look at major league baseball, they're a $10 billion business and growing dramatically. Yet attendance was down over 4%, you know, league participation is declining. Uh, the average baseball fan is getting into their 60s. But Major League Baseball is making hand over fist money. So why would these owners want to change? I want to change because I'm thinking 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And I'm watching you know young kids are not playing the game anymore. But you know, th- the challenge is when you're so successful, you're making so much money, it's hard to make that change. There's only a f- few companies, you mentioned Netflix, that you know, they're on top of the game. Their stock is almost $200 and they're sending out DVDs more than anyone else in the world. And they said, nope, we're going to split the company because the future is going to streaming. And their stock you know, plummeted. But Reed Hastings and Patty and everyone a part of that group knew where they were going, and they were focused on the customer and what was best, even if they were a little early. And I think that's what we're trying to do. But Major League Baseball, there's going to be so much resistance. They're making so much money. Why would they change? But they're going to be yeah. you know, in trouble if they don't make some changes soon.
0: It's an interesting topic that you bring up. And funnily enough is... You know, I'm sitting here in Toronto, where all our major sports teams are owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and the Vancouver Canucks are owned by Canucks Sports and Entertainment. And thinking through what you were talking there, and, and is it the ownership groups not being interested in the marketing aspect? It's kind of inherent on them to be interested in the entertainment aspect. It's in their names, you know, like uh, Rogers and Bell, the, the television companies own all of these sports properties in Toronto. And I think, I'm not saying it's going to work necessarily, but in the right circumstances, there's opportunity there to go and grab new fans, go and engage, uh, you know, lifelong fans of sports by showing them something, the, the inner sanctum of a coach's head that is going to, you know, uh, be beneficial to the whole organization. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely, there's an ownership thing and, and there's also a lot of maybe older coaches that don't want to share the secrets, but, I, I, you know, looking to the future and the way things are going in other forms of media and entertainment, I- including, you know, they've started, uh, you know, fan NFL essentially where, you know, fans get to vote on what the play is and who the players are on the field. You know, if we're going that way, you got to keep up. And I think it's a, a small price to pay to have a coach tweet about one of the tactics, you know, after every game. Yeah.
2: Couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, I think like we, you know, obviously we're pretty deep talking about sports, and um, I I was just thinking about how what Jesse's done uh, and the way that he approaches business and the way that he approaches guest experiences and and the show, I think is actually just as if not more relatable to how people can look at their own product that isn't sports. Uh, I think there's so many experiences out there, whether even you just take an employee experience for an example, where businesses may not even consider uh, a creating a journey or thinking about what a journey is like for one of their employees or, you know, for their own customers, in fact. So, Jesse, what do you think about that, that, you know, a lot of the principles that we're talking about are actually, you know, mostly transferable to business?
1: Oh, 100 percent. And I I think that's, you know, that's where we're trying to go, because, you know, the reality is a lot of people do want to work in sports. But when they get into sports, they realize it's not everything they think it is. So we're trying to gear it out to be um, just a great business and a great part of their life. And mapping the journey for the employees is so important. And, you know, we for the first time just these past two months, we had our first turnover. In three years and the statistics are staggering um you know people leave a job every 13 months that are under uh, 30 years old and we for three years had zero turnover but we finally had turnover and you know i'm now on a mission like how do we eliminate the two weeks notice and how do we get it's so much transparency and really connect in a real relationship that you know employees don't feel safe enough to say hey they're going to leave and it starts in the beginning so we brought on some new employees I mean, we map out when they show up and we have a huge celebration and their favorite food and silly string. Then have gifts and put their picture up, you know, and then we take them on uh, a trip like a speech. and, And they get to be a part of the whole experience and they get to meet every single person. And it starts in the interview process. And then here's the crazy thing. When people leave the last day, we bring them together and have the biggest party. And every single person on our staff writes a thank you letter to them and shares memories and they read it out loud. And then we give them a plaque and with all their their greatest accomplishments with the team. And then we produce a video of all, we film everything year round. So we show a video of all their highlights and it becomes emotional. And how do people send off people is really mapping the journey. It's not just when they show up and welcome them, it's even when they leave. And we pride ourselves. It's not just, um, you know, designing the journey, but designing how you want people to feel. And that's your customers and your employees. And we map those emotions. And emotion we talk about a lot is happy tears. We've had a lot of fans come to us crying um, happy because we brought their family together. And our staff has cried when they've left and happy tears because of the experience they had. When you can create that emotion, you're, you're doing something right that will make a profound impact on people. And I always say moments matter meaning. Create moments that show people that they matter.
0: Incredible. It's funny because to your point, Trav, you know, we can reapply this whole methodology and all of these ideas to so many different industries, uh, you know, domains, all these different experiences, uh, that we're going through in life, including, you know, geez, you can go personal. You can, you can redesign the experience with your wife, with your kids. Um, you know, redesign your experience with with alcohol, if that's something that you struggle with, you you know, the the same methodologies of asking why, you know, why are we doing this? I think they certainly intimidate a lot of people because it feels restrictive and it feels like you might be maybe taking extra time on something rather than, you know, to use a a Gary Vee-ism, you know, executing. But I think, yeah, going through this process is so healthy and and can lead to uh, so much change and positive change. That uh, it's worth spending those extra couple of seconds on it, and you know, one of my uh, biggest blogs has been about this podcast and how I wanted to kind of redesign the format of podcasting and, and interview formats that to me look all the same as when Johnny Carson was you know on the Tonight Show in the seventies. It's just you know question and answer, question and answer, question and answer, have a laugh and then throw to an ad, and to me that wasn't good enough, so. You know, you can sit down and redesign podcasting even as a, a really new format. Like, why can't we sit down and look at that and say, what's the experience for the listener? Do they want to hear this person talk about their book again? Or can they get that from Tim Ferriss? And on my show, we can actually, you know, problem solve. And, you know, my, what I want out of this is I want people to run out of ink in their pen because they're making so many notes from you guys. So yeah, like we can apply this in so many different ways. I think that
2: it it comes down to laziness. Like I think that some people become so, um, lazy for want of a better word that they don't even consider taking the time. They know that things can be done better. They know they want to do things a, a different way, but they don't actually think about it. And it's not it's a learned skill. Like it's not something that you can kind of just pick up. It's, it comes with practice, like thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, you could even go tomorrow and think about, okay, how do I want to approach my commute or, uh, how do I want to interact in that next meeting? Like thinking about how you show up personally is an example of how you can create this experience or this map, this journey. And then taking that a step further, as you said, like, okay, maybe it is in my personal life first. I was amazed at how many, Mm -hmm. People within the running industry um, would talk about how uh, participation is declining. People aren't showing up anymore. And we were able to reverse that trend and continue to reverse that trend with the seaweeds. It still sells out. They've gone to a lottery system now because it was selling out instantaneously. But it was really about taking that time. And there was races that had been around forever that would stand up and say, well, no one's coming to our races but they hadn't changed anything in five or 10 years. And it was like, here's the formula for how you uh, host a half marathon. And they couldn't find a way to move away from that formula. And it, it's as simple as just stopping, taking a moment and thinking about it.
1: Well, Travis, you were thinking about how, how do you make the people feel too? I think that it's not like, let's just do another race. I think so yeah. many companies and people are focused on just being a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. They're focused on the urge er. But you were focused on, you know, what could we be the only one doing? And I think only is probably the most important word in marketing and creating attention. And you, and it sounds like Cody as well with the podcast, it's like you're thinking about how people are going to feel. We don't want this to be like everyone else. And I think that's amazing. And I think, Travis, I'd love to hear more. I mean, some of these things that you're doing, because I'm sure you guys got countless emails and letters like, wow, this race did this. And like that is profound where most races that would never happen.
2: Well, the thing I love about endurance sports, even if you have a terrible experience, so you go to one of these races, um, you're still going to be changed for it because the process of setting goals and training and getting yourself ready for an event and then the whole uh, experience of crossing the finish line um, changes people's lives. And I believe so strongly in that and the power of endurance sports to do that, that that's really what I've built our company around. Um, But tenfold around the fact that we would have drag queens on the course. So people would be able to stop and take a selfie with the drag queen or we would have an actual mermaid in the water. So we'd have a we'd hire an actress, she'd sit on the rocks with a mermaid tail and we don't tell people about these things but they, they're running along and they're like, oh my goodness, did you see the mermaid in the water like at kilometer 10 or whatever it was? Um, and it, taking that idea of like, having fun things to do or to fun things along the course we made them interactive as well so people were there to ha- be a part of this immersive experience out on the course as well so tenfold that experience of like okay you've you've done something really great for your health um, you've set a goal and you've accomplished it but you also had an incredible time doing it that was you know you're right it was the emails and the letters and the everything else that we would get afterwards and a lot of I actually have a question for you Jesse around that so I consider myself pretty intuitive. So a lot of these decisions were based on um, intuition and experience and things that I've kind of uh, felt would make a difference. How much of it for you is that intuition and how much of it is collecting data, collecting um, guest experience, uh, surveys, things like that? How much does that frame your decision making?
1: We've never done a survey once. And that doesn't mean I'm more intuitive. Intuitive. I guess I look in the sense of Henry Ford and said, if I asked people what they want, they would have said faster horses. Um, I, I think the premise, we look at everything is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite because we believe normal gets normal results. And so what I've, I've seen is I started thinking, all right, what will get people talking? We had to create attention first because if we didn't have attention, we didn't have the eyes and ears. It didn't matter how good of a company we were. So that's how we started doing that. And then from there, I'll tell you, a big concept that we believe is, is do and then learn. And I think so many people are just stuck thinking and analyzing, could this work? Could this work? You'll never know until you try. And we've tried so many things that have failed. I mean, <laughs> the world's largest tickets. I mean, those fans hated them. But we were trying to create some attention. It didn't work. I mentioned the salute underwear, the flatulence fun night. We've tried a lot of things that hadn't worked. But it's built into our brand that, hey, guys, how quickly can we test this and see what will happen? And you know, last year, we had our players wear kilts, be the only team in the, in the world to play a game in kilts. And they won on a walk-off. And our, our guy that first got a double, he lifted his kilt up at the crowd. The crowd went nuts. It was crazy. Um, but you just, you just test. And that, again, that's part of our brand. And I think most companies aren't reinventing enough. And they're not testing. They're trying to analyze data or, or think about what their customers want. And the reality is, you can see whether the customers want it or not. Put it on sale. Do they buy it? Do they come? You know, I think surveys are just, I, I, I get them, I understand them, but for us, it's such a small sample size and, you know, people can say something in a survey, but until they have to buy it and become a part of it, it's a whole different whole different result.
0: Yeah, that's
2: quite cool to hear.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? The whole data movement, you know, I, I I've written about this in the past as well and how I think it's creating average, to your point there, Jesse, in terms of uh, you know, if we are looking at it um, and we're measuring everything and, and all it is is about following the data, essentially, yeah, you're just creating something that's average and and being an outlier is actually going to be the new competitive advantage because everyone's just going to be following the data. 100%. Um, which is a really interesting thing to have run into this quickly into this whole kind of tech and data movement is that so many people have followed it so closely that, yeah, wearing a – uh, you know, yellow top hat and a yellow tuxedo actually is a huge competitive advantage for you personally right now and you you know your brands. Yeah.
1: Well everyone has something that makes them stand out. What is it? And do people know about it. You know, can people when people describe someone, what do they say? How can it be easy? I don't care if I'm just called the yellow Tux guy. At least they're saying them something. Then they can get into my work. But I think to Bet you were talking about before, you know, Jeff Bezos had the famous uh two pizza rule that, you know, meetings, you know, should, everyone in a meeting should be able to consume two pizzas. You have more people than that. Then you get this group think. And as soon as you get people just all thinking about something, it goes right to the middle. And when you go to the middle, you're in trouble. And and I think you guys, same thing as I, I believe in love is better than like, and it's better to get a hundred people to absolutely love you than thousands that kind of like you. And so We never want to get in the middle. If you're in the middle, you got maybe a lot of people that kind of like you. We want to go to the far left or the far right and get people to love us for how crazy we are because that'll spread like wildfire. And that's our biggest marketing is our fans just going out and saying, you have to go to a Bananas game. It's unlike any sporting event you've seen. Mm -hmm. And they're saying it. I, when I heard someone say the other day, it's like it's like a circus and a baseball game breaks out. I was like, "That's our language." Thank you for using that. That's awesome. And so I, I'm very strong opinion, and then obviously it pushes some people in the other direction. And when I'm walking through the airport in a yellow tuxedo, people look at me like I'm crazy. But that's okay. I'm okay with that.
0: I want to flip this around a little bit. Have you guys seen the Fire Festival documentary or documentaries? I know there's two. Yeah, I have. I was uh, I was sitting there watching it
2: actually on um, Friday night and. I was sitting there with anxiety as a an event professional um I was it was uh yeah I was sweating I was sitting there wondering how the heck it got to that point and on the flip side I was also marveling at how they got to that point in the way that they um you know that initial uh, initial promotion and initial exposure that the festival got to the point where it was a fever pitch to get tickets for something that didn't even exist was, it was like a, a really good, uh, interesting look at, uh, at human beings. But yeah, as a, an event professional, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, uh, this is not good. <laughs>
1: it's on the docket for me tonight. I've been told by a thousand people that I need to watch it and uh, I already know the story, but um, I think it's so fascinating just to be able to watch because it sounds like their marketing and the way they created attention was, I mean, a classroom session on how to do it. And so I, obviously there's some corrupt <laughs> that I've heard about it, but um, I'm sure there's some things, Travis, that we, anybody could take from it and say, wow, we could actually put this into how we do events, just actually do it morally, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Completely unparalleled in terms of the idea, the, the backdrop, you know, having a uh, an app that it was based around. It wasn't just some music festival. It was designed to bring attention to a, uh, a new way of being able to book celebrities for parties. Uh, yeah, the, the social media, like the video, like that's one of the most viral videos of all time all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I I was the same. I went from anxious to sweating to like almost crying to (laughs) smiling. I was like, this idea is brilliant. Like from a marketer's perspective, like this is just insanely good work and all these little tactics that they had. And, uh, but yeah, I guess my question coming out of it was obviously there's the ethical side of it, but more so was where do you pull the pin on what you think is a good idea? So not from a, an ethical perspective, let's talk about this on just a it's not working perspective because you can, like you said, we can test all these different things, Jesse, but when when do we know, you know, talking about kind of that thing with, with data versus, um, you know, just your gut feel, when do you know to pull a pin on something?
1: Travis, you go first.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think um, that's a tough question because I think as a visionary or as someone who wants to create outstanding experiences for people um and to Jesse's point some may hit and some may miss i think when you know if there's a point where you know that you know you're going to put people in harm's way then that for me is like that's the that's a no brainer um you know so thinking about the fire festival example like they knew well well and truly in advance in reality that they wouldn't be able to make this thing happen but i think you know in the spirit of wanting to push the envelope a little bit like Jesse does then I think sometimes you you don't know what's going to work to his point around you know the the underwear night and the and the whoopee cushion night like you just sometimes you just don't know, and if you make that call too early, you know maybe one of the greatest nights in savannah banana history doesn't happen.
1: yeah, that's a good point i mean I, I think for us we look at uh, we just ended up canceling and stopping our events department. we literally closed our events department. And the reason why we did numerous events, um, but we asked ourselves the question, can we be the best in the world at this? And I know that's a big, audacious, crazy question to ask, but, or can it help us be the best in the world at something? And we were doing, we did tap of the morning beer festival, because you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. We did uh, We did all, all you can eat food truck festival, Haunted Stadium, concerts. We did it. We did it all. And we realized we couldn't be the best at that. It was taking us, taking away from our brand. It was the first time we felt like we were selling to the people as opposed to giving them opportunity to buy in and be a part of it. And so we stopped our events, which was about to become a seven figure business. We just cut it. And um, because we realized what we're doing as far as the baseball entertainment show experience is really special and we're going all in on that. And so that was tough. That was a challenge. And I think as entrepreneurs, you guys know more than anything, we get pulled in so many different directions. We have to test things. We have to try things. We have to reinvent. But if we're doing something that's taking away from
2: what we believe we can be the best in the world at, it might be time to look a different direction. Well, Jesse, I offer you the opportunity. If you uh, ever want to reinvent and reinvigorate the events department, let's, uh, let's get together and chat because I feel like we could probably help you there.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. I mean, I, I, I did enjoy it. I loved it. I know our fans loved it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it hurt our brand a little bit and we were, we were nervous yeah. about that.
0: So as lifelong learners and people that are just interested in a, a whole range of different things, I'm curious, we, we generally kind of start to wrap up the show on this question, but, uh, it doesn't need to be an ending per se. What, are you guys interested in right now? What are you kind of studying or what's some strain of something that might be far removed? You know, it might be how to distill whiskey or whatever, but what are you interested in and and how is that kind of impacting what you're doing on a, on a day-to-day basis in terms of implementing it in your business or writing a blog about it or posting on social media about it? Let's start with you, Jesse. Like what's intellectually stimulating you right now?
1: I mean, again, just I'm, I'm very simple in the sense of our big dragon we're trying to slay has changed the game of baseball. And I am looking at everything that we can do to create a more exciting, more fun game and make a big announcement soon. Um, So in the meantime, what I'm focused on so much is getting out an outrageous amount of content and sharing our beliefs, sharing who we are um, and, and caring more. You know, I think it all comes down to the why and, you know, I, I believe we can care more for others So that together we can create a more caring world and and if we are caring for our people caring for our fans caring for everyone that we work with um it'll make everything else easier and give us all a bigger purpose so that's the reason why we are trying to uh you know tackle the game of baseball and truly change it because we feel like that is caring for uh the people and caring for people that want to come out and have a good time so uh everything i'm focused on that obviously i got the yellow tux in the personal brand and i'm just sharing the journey again going back to what's your story how do you share it and let people come on come on for the ride so uh, i'm putting out lots of content just like you guys are and just trying to learn and again that's that's everything i'm focused on trying to keep everything very simple
0: yeah follow-up question on that because you are putting out great stuff how has that process been for you because you know for someone listening in it's like you know i don't have time to uh, you know, to document, you know, again, to go back to a Gary Vee, uh, kind of methodology, document everything, or I don't know how to cut together videos. Like what's your recommendation to people that want to be like you and want to put out a daily video on LinkedIn and want to talk about stuff, uh, from someone who, you know, you're an owner and you are being pulled in all these different directions. So h- how have you addressed, uh, getting all that content out, formulating it in your head, um, learning how to speak to camera, all that sort of stuff.
1: Just start. <laughs> I wish is, you know, I say at the end of every video, almost stop standing still, start standing out. Um, I had no one helping me. I just started turning my phone on me doing one minute boost. Um, you know, literally started just writing little blogs. I'm not a great writer, but I wrote 159 blogs before I posted one out. Then I worked with a publisher, sent them to a publisher. I got help. So I think eventually you can buy time. And we have now a full-time videographer who helps me a little bit. I'm probably going to bring on another one to help me more full-time, but I started, I made a commitment to myself. Just like you know, three years ago, guys, I made a commitment to the thank you experiment, and I'd write one thank you letter every single day. The first step was I bought 365 uh, custom thank you letters, and I committed every day. And after one year, it made such a profound impact on my life that now I've done it every single day since, and written over a thousand thank you letters. It just starts one day, one post, one letter, and you know I think anybody can do it when they start thinking about two years down the road, three years down the road. That's when it becomes daunting. I wake up every morning, I have a thank you letter right on my desk and I write. And that's how I start every day. And same thing with my post. I'll do a post and put it out. And I don't care necessarily how many likes, how many comments. It's for me. I'm, I'm competing. I'm going against myself. I'm not competing against anyone else. So I didn't have all the answers. I had no one liking and commenting when I first started two years ago. And now it's obviously grown. But uh, it's just starting. It's, it's stop caring what other people think and just try to put stuff out there and, and share your beliefs and share your story.
0: Couldn't agree more. There are so many brilliant blogs and podcasts out there that I stumble across that haven't done anything since 2016, and they did five episodes. And to your point about being only, you know, only is scary. But uh, you know, Travis and I have this saying that the tough times and the five uh, five read blogs are the ones that you end up writing about in your autobiography at the end. It's not the ones that get twenty thousand hits. Uh, Trav, what are you? researching at the moment what's kind of stimulating you in terms of your world and the things that you're taking in
2: yeah i think um and jesse just so you know uh there's a bit of a gary v connection here we uh i was actually in the office uh interviewing andy kranak for our uh our website innervoice.life when you were in the office uh a couple of months ago now um and i heard the uh receptionist talking about the guy in the yellow suit and i kind of turned around and, and you were there um, so there's a little uh, we cross paths, but didn't know it, didn't even know it at the time. Um, I'm really interested in um, in a lot of the work that Gary Vaynerchuk does. I I um, listen to it, you know, at different times in my life. Sometimes, you know, I might be uh, driving, or I might be at my desk, or I might be out on my bike, and I kind of take a little bit of something different every time. And I think really, it's to me is about execution and and how and that encouragement and that uh, belief in that executing is the most important thing. And I think, um, you know, with our website, innervoice.life, we did commit to posting um, a piece of inspiration from one of our previous features uh, 100 days in a row. And that process of just getting started um, has really helped, uh, I guess, lose that, um, the emphasis on, you know, on how many people like and how many people comment. It's just about putting in place Uh, That I'm getting into the practice of of consistency, Um, and I'm also a big thing that I'm I'm really taking care of myself. I think you know as an ex athlete, um, I moved away from you know sport and moved away from things that you know made made me feel good about myself. So I've really taken a lot of time to get back on my bike and commit to a few races this year um, that will help me with my training and my consistency. But it's also really about that process of um, you know, if you're feeling good about yourself and you're doing good for yourself, then you're going to be better for the people around you, including my wife and my daughter and my business and and Cody, yourself as a business partner, and all the people that you interact with. So that's, um, you know, that's something I've been really uh, pursuing. The other thing that I'm super interested in, and I'm 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 really um, I'm really intent on uh, creating the ultimate experience for someone. Uh, in a, in the world of dining. So being able to like flip restaurants on their head or flip that experience of going to a restaurant on its head. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm really intent on learning about that industry um, and, and seeing, because I think that so many amazing memories and moments are had at dinner and over a dinner, um, whether it's, you know, anniversaries or celebrations or date nights or whatever whatever it is. And I think those things need to be more memorable. There's been so many instances lately where you go to a restaurant, it's a meh experience, you've spent, you know, a, a good amount of money on it, and you're never going to remember it. So, like, what can we do in that industry that's going to make it uh, special? I think there's people who are doing it, but, I'd, you know, I'd love to be the only one of doing something in that industry.
1: Travis, I, I love that. I want to jump on the – you talk about taking care of yourself. And I share a lot. You you need to love yourself more than anything. And it's a tough thing to talk about because people are uncomfortable with it. But you're right. If you don't give yourself oxygen first, as they talk about in the plane, you can't take care of anyone else. And I I think that needs to be talked about more and be okay to say, you know what, I'm going to love myself more than anyone else so that I can love everyone else better. And uh, you're part about execution. I couldn't agree more. We always say at our staff, you know, ideas are currency, but it's implementation that will make you rich and i, I it's, it's love that we have ideas like crazy we write i write down 10 ideas every single morning but it's who's putting it into play who's executing it and that's why after we have an idea palooza with our staff with everyone their ideas we all right now the next step is who's owning
2: these ideas
1: and uh yeah that's
2: huge so i love, love what you're i looking love uh, well i think i i'd like to thank you for your acknowledgement on that um around the the self-care piece because it is very very difficult to admit that that's a. Um, a priority in your life and to the point like I now calendar I put in my calendar um, an hour and a half every day to go for a ride and um, you know days are short with a family and you know you have to fit and I, t- I actually take every Wednesday off to be with my daughter she's almost two years old and I've made that decision that I'm going to take that time with her and I spend a full day with her just the two of us, Um, it means for some late nights. It means for some, you know, not being able to take as many meetings as you want or not being able to do as much work as you might want. But at the end of the day, mapping out my journey as a human being and as a dad and as a a husband and as a business owner, um, it's more important to me to be happy than it is to uh, look like you're working really, really hard and putting in all of these hours when there's, you know, there's no reason to do it other than what other people are thinking about you.
1: I love it. If you want to look at someone their priorities and what they really care about, look at their schedule. And my word for the year was connection, starting with my family and my wife and my now nine month old son. And I started putting on my schedule every day at three o'clock I come home. And that's crazy. You know, a lot of people like to talk in the after, you know, afternoons or have meetings. But I go in earlier, but I come home at three o'clock and you know, you could set your calendar and you can get work done and the constraints that you make. And uh, I think that's great. I think that needs to be talked about. I think a successful entrepreneur should be judged by how well they are personally and with their family, more than just what they do in the business world.
0: Yeah, and where the biggest uh, you know, problem with that is is men and our reluctance to talk about this. But you know, three guys here uh, talking about it is is super healthy, and I appreciate you both sharing your thoughts on that. And you know, I'll mirror that as well. There's there's this whole fraudulence around busy that you know comes from kind of the Wall Street era that predated us that doesn't need to exist anymore. You know, we now live in a generation of abundance, um, you know, an abundance of opportunity to be able to tear that old world down and replace it with something that's a lot more healthy. And, you know, on top of that, you know, this will kind of be my final thought, but, um, reading blogs about how Michelle Obama gets up at 5am doesn't help anyone. Um, you know, there's an, there's an individual journey that you need to go through and talking, you know, to put a bow on this whole conversation, it's your own personal experience. It's what you and your family need and you need personally. And, you know, I think there's more of an argument for if you do your best work in the evenings, get up at 10 AM and don't care what other people think. And, you know, do your work into the evenings and that's fine. But yeah, you know, don't, copy other people just because you read about Richard Branson and what he does. Cause I don't think that's going to be helpful for you either and probably dig yourself into a bigger hole. Um, mm. so I'll, uh, I'll leave so I'll, one. What, yeah, go for it. Trev.
2: One thing I have to, I, I just have to add to that. Like one thing I've also had to let go of in that process, um, is this like zero inbox or like getting back to someone in a timely manner Um, because, my schedule is different and I'm, you know, I will work when I, when I'm motivated and ready, like get out of my way because no one will stop me. Um, but the idea of like, you need to be always available as well, uh, I think needs to be discussed. Like being able to be connected with people is amazing, but like there shouldn't be this this expectation of people that they're going to get back to you right away or they're sitting there waiting for your email, or your message. Um, So that's one thing that I've had to let go of, of of like feeling inadequate inadequate if I can't get back to someone within 24 hours, like that's just ludicrous. So that's, that's my kind of final thought on that.
0: Well, I have run out of at least space on my piece of paper. So I'm sure that uh, everyone listening at home has as well. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much for this conversation. I hope we can revisit in the future. And uh, yeah, um, I'm going to commit that Travis and I are going to come for a visit, Jesse. And I'm looking forward to the Scratch and Sniff tickets more than anything else, I think.
1: (laughs) My my director of tickets is now going to hate me because uh, we're trying to reinvent, do something new this year. So there'll be a new (sighs) surprise with the experience but we'll save some from last year for you how's that
0: perfect uh this yeah this has been great lads thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to getting together and and having this conversation again in person as well great stuff guys love what you're doing brilliant thanks jesse thanks cody at this stage of the show most podcasts will ask you to go and leave a five-star rating but if you're going to go somewhere i'd rather you go and check out athletic greens If you follow me on social media, you'll see me doing two things, exercising and traveling. At my last checkup, my doctor told me I had the lowest cholesterol she'd ever seen, but I was crucially low in a whole range of vitamins and minerals that I'd never heard of. And as a result, my hair was in terrible shape. I went looking for the best all-in-one solution I could find, and I landed on Athletic Greens. I found it an easy habit to get on board with. A simple routine of one scoop in some cold water every morning before I have breakfast and I have all my bases covered. And now my hair is back to normal. And if you still don't believe me, I'm an Australian promoting a product created by a New Zealander, so you know I'm not joking around. I can't stress this enough. Jump over to athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody and claim your special offer today. Five free travel packs with your first purchase athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody The Where Others Won't podcast is recorded at Apollo Studios in downtown Toronto and is produced and edited by Adam Esker You can book me to speak by the Where Others Won't book or send me an email at codyroyal.com